more and more we see brands, businesses, organizations that really believe that they want to make an impact in the world, believe that that is important to their stakeholders and 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 walk the talk on that. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is George Bray. I'm a content manager here at Sports Pro and I'll be your host for today's show. Now this week we have uh, a special episode as it marks the release of the Loris Sport for Good Index. And the, really, the index um, exists to shine a light on the organizations that are having the clearest and most meaningful impact in delivering good within sport. And this week, to explore that more closely, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Adam Fraser, Chief Executive of Laurier Sport for Good, and Jessica Clancy, the Senior Vice President for Corporate Social Responsibility at NBC Universal. Jessica and Adam, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Nice to be here, George. Nice to be here, George. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Well, Adam, this week marks the release of the Laureus Sport for Good Index. And of course, people can view and download the full list um, at laureussportforgoodindex.com. But before they do that, can you give us a bit of an insight into what the list is and why it exists? Yeah, um, I can give you an official line there. I can give you a, a personal line. The list is is a recognition of, um, of of brands who are really putting social purpose, social impact at the heart of their involvement in sport. The the official line I would say and why it exists is to establish best practice to spotlight and celebrate the impact that sport can have when brands invest properly and to encourage more investment into the sport for good space from the wider sector. I think the the unofficial line I would say from a Laureus perspective is that we've always known the power that athletes have to make a difference in this space. And we've championed that with the Laureus World Sports Awards. We've always known the power of great community work uh, and the work of the Laureus Sport for Good Foundation in funding that community work with our partners is is incredibly powerful. Um, But really you're missing a piece of the equation in the sport industry if you don't think about the the power of brands to really make a difference in this space. And there are so many great brands, so many great businesses doing amazing things. Um, this is really a chance to to profile that work. We're probably in an era now more than ever where sport for good is probably slightly cynically viewed. So Adam, from Loris's point of view, simple question, what does sport for good actually entail? What is good mean i would challenge your 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 statement somewhat george i (laughs) would say that 10 years ago it was um i think we've moved in the right direction on that i think 10 years ago 15 years ago when i used to write about this work as a journalist when i first started working in this space i felt it was it was viewed very cynically people were either kind of looking at it and thinking, well, we don't need to do this. We exist to win football matches or we exist to sell sneakers or whatever their their role was. Or they were, those of us working as journalists, those of us in the public would look at things and say, oh, well, they're just doing this for the PR. They're just doing this. They don't really care. And now I think we've gone in a, uh, a much, we've reached a much stronger place where I think Purpose is core. I think you're right that people can look at things and think purpose marketing. That sounds cynical. That sounds like you're just telling a story to to, to shift product. But I actually, I I don't find that general mentality certainly in the partners that we deal with. I think more and more we see brands, businesses, organisations that really 
believe that they want to make an impact in the world, believe that that is important to their stakeholders and and, and walk the talk on that. Um, as to what Sport for Good means for us, as Laureus Sport for Good Foundation, it's using sport to make an impact across key social focus areas aligned to the sustainable development goals. It's work in education, employability, inclusion, gender equity, health and well-being, peace building. But I think it goes much broader than that when we really think about the power of sport to 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 influence things from an environmental perspective, to influence policy, to to to, to change communities. And I think the the variation, the variety of ways in which the different brands recognized on the index do that shows what a broad field it is. Yeah. And I can pick up on what Adam said, George, really in the perception that, you know, the world is more interconnected than ever. And, you know, sports continues to be a global phenomenon. And there really isn't another avenue that has the power to, you know, connect networks of partners, stakeholders, um, and where brands, businesses come together um, to some sort of shared development or shared outcome. Um, and I, I would agree with Adam that, you know, from a cynical perspective, I feel like what you see now is sports really taking action, athletes taking action in their communities, athletes, brands speaking out, right, against causes that are important to them. Um, and so much of that, of course, is fueled by public perception, and that didn't exist, you know, as much 10 years ago where what athletes and brands and sports stand up to do is in response to what the public is looking for them to respond to. And that could be fans, that could be stakeholders. So, you know, like Adam, I, I think that sports continues to be sort of one tremendous connector towards, you know, an equitable society. And there's so many different ways that brands can show up in that. And um, I think Laureus has said this before, but the Sport for Good Index is really a timely reminder of the transformational power of sport. And I think that is, um, continues to be extremely timely today. Jessica, your role at NBC Universal obviously encompasses a lot more than just sport. Um, looking at the entertainment sphere as a whole, do you see a marked difference in the power that sport holds to deliver improvement to society, environmental sustainability compared to other verticals that you see at NBC Universal? It's an interesting question. You are right. NBC Universal is a broad media and technology company. Um, and we as a company are committed to using our platforms and our people to, you know, create and reach more positive change in community. I think all of our verticals are equally important in the sense that they each attract a different type of consumer and person. And so that is in its own right, the power of a company like MBCU is that we have the ability to reach and talk to so many different audiences because we have such a variety of verticals and businesses, of course, NBC Sports, but um, you know whether it be through our film business or you know through our television business, through our theme park business, you know as a whole, though I will say that media, technology, sport remain at the center of the sort of zeitgeist, and we see positive change through all of our different verticals. Um, but as it relates to Sport and sport for good, 
you know, there is a lot of passion um, through those audiences and there's a lot of passion for the brands and there's a lot of passion for the businesses, of course, that are showcased on our network. And so, you know, I, I always believe that the work that we do th- with Laureus through NBC Sports um, will remain paramount. And again, in many cases, there's a lot of star talent um, through those brands and through our programming that allows us to shine a light on positive impact. Um, and that can be anything, you know, from the work that we're doing with HBCUs and college football, um, you know, to the work that we're able to show on our networks um, through some of the other uh, properties that we have. And so, you know, I, I, I think there'll always be a special place for sport. Um, but I think holistically, media entertainment as a media and technology entertainment company, we're really well positioned to showcase a lot of different changes um, in the community through the different um, businesses that we have. That breadth you talk about is an interesting feature of the index itself, Adam. I'm just looking through the list. I think there's at least six sectors that are represented across the the full list of brands. There'll be those downloading the list um, this week, maybe comparing it to the 2021 inaugural edition and and seeing some some movers and shakers, some new entries. Was there anyone in this year's list that surprised you or was from a sector that perhaps doesn't have the strongest heritage with sport? From my side, I wouldn't say there was... A particular sector that jumped out to me, but what I found really interesting was the the number of new businesses um, or relatively new businesses that are um, that were taking their place on the index, and I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about some of them. But the the likes of some businesses that have, are not, um, you know, someone who's been doing their work for 40 years and they're now trying to figure out a social impact strategy, but businesses that have really been launched with social impact at the core of what they do. And I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of the amazing partners we work with have gone from having sport and, 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 and sport for development, investment in sports-based youth development as a something they do alongside their sports sponsorship or their work. And that's changed over time to really sit at the center of it. What we see in some of the new businesses coming through is that they've they've had a bit of a they've been able to take a bit of a shortcut on that because the social purpose is embedded from from day one. And it's it's really interesting seeing some of those brands come onto the index this year. Yeah. And I think just to pick up what Adam said, what's so fascinating about the index comparing even this year to last year um, is just the continued elevation across sector, be it finance, technology, food and beverage, retail, you know, of course, energy, transportation, et cetera. And so, as these different industries navigate sort of the macroeconomic challenges in front of them, they're still thinking about social impact and sport for good and the way that they show up in sport as integral to their strategy. And I think for me, that's something that I looked at as we look at 2022 and look at the index is, um, you know, there are some brands that are very familiar to all of us um, who have been doing work in this space, you know, be it Patagonia or Visa, but there's also this nice mix of brands that are doing work in very specific regions, as I was reading some of these, or countries that maybe don't get as much attention, which I think is really important part of the index, um, to, again, some of those um, really recognizable brands. So I think that is the power of the index, too. And I can say that as a judge myself, reading some 
Um, I wasn't even that familiar with some of the companies and the work that they were doing. And it was really enlightening for that, you know, for me to see that. So I think that also shows the power of the index in really highlighting and opening up what smaller companies or even larger companies we may not know about are doing in smaller regions that are really important. To pick up on that judging piece, Adam, we often talk internally about the difficulty of measuring impact um, and and what it comes back to my earlier question of what does good actually mean? So when it comes to evaluating and assessing these brands and businesses that are involved in sport, how do you go about compiling a list such as this from an assessment criteria point of view? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's a really great question. Um, look, as, as Laurier's Support for Good Foundation, even in our own work over the last 22 years, it's been a continual quest to improve our own impact measurement, looking at the actual work we do in a community and being able to show the impact it's having, um, be it quantitative data, qualitative data, like that that's a huge amount of work. Um, you're comparing always with something like this, uh, apples and oranges to an extent, but I think the importance of ESG to everyone's business means that there are more uh, accurate comparisons, more more um, quantifiable metrics that we start to see. I, th- I feel like we really strengthened the methodology of, of, of the list and the judging process this year. So brands could nominate themselves, um, pro- provide additional information, but there was also desk research from the sports pro team and, and, and from others. More than anything, though, we expanded the judging panel from, I think, six judges in the first year to 19 this year. So Jessica, one of them, and, and, and 18 others across representatives from the UN, from business, CEOs of nonprofits, sustainability experts, diversity, equity, and inclusion experts. So, so a really a really broad range. And I think that's the, that's the interesting thing here, that you have brands who might be doing unbelievable work in the DEI space, but haven't really necessarily taken certain steps in uh, the environmental space. And then you might have the reverse, brands who exist entirely um, with a focus on climate who are still working on other parts of that. And I think that that's the point of this, that nobody is perfect. Nobody is just doing unbelievable work 100% across every single metric that they could be having a positive social impact. The, and, and, and the index is not intended to highlight failure or to say that anyone on there is perfect. The index is intended to showcase really good practice in this space in the hope that the other brands learn from that, are inspired, um, can, can, can take hints and, and, and try things themselves and see the overall importance of this. I think from the from my own personal perspective, I was lucky enough to sit in on some of the judging, but we didn't have a voice in the judging. We, we were very keen doing this to make sure that the judging panel was entirely external. Um, and it was amazing hearing these, these industry leaders and experts looking at the different aspects of this, looking at what's very quantifiable in ESG reporting, looking at what is about brand perception, looking at where someone's approach to to what they're doing internally might not necessarily intersect with uh, their external work in the community or, you know, the reverse where those things tie together really powerfully. But I think more than anything, the important thing with a list like this is is about credibility. Um, and I feel like the, the strength of the judging panel we had and the the, the, the quality of the, the applications, the efforts that brands are putting into some of their applications here, I think... Um, 
speaks to speaks to that credibility increasing year on year. It's definitely an interesting part of this year's index. There is real transparency over some of those metrics that were used um, when judging, which people can find on the site. But Jessica, you yourself were involved intimately in that judging process, um, you know, deciding uh, who's in, who's out. So how, how did you find that as an experience? I found it fascinating. You know, I mean, I think as we talked about and, and Adam mentioned, you know, there was such a variety of brands that were part of the index. Um, and I think the sort of self-nomination probably opened that up because to the point I made earlier, there's a lot happening that we may not know about um, that's interesting and that brands want to tell us about. And I really thought from a judging process, they were just really great examples about how sport can foster social development. It can change perception um, of different groups of people and really how sport can um, open up opportunity for participation despite significant barriers. Um, and given a lot of the work that was happening from the brands that um, we saw were international, um, there's, you know, of course, significant barriers to participation in sport beyond what we see here in the U.S. And I was really inspired um, to see something that might have been sort of an unbridgeable divide before, um, where a brand was really making progress towards that, whether it was the first sponsoring of a women's rugby tournament, or whether it was stepping up to be the first you know, sponsor of something FIFA is doing that's really going to move the needle in women's sports or in coaching or in leadership development. And these areas are all interconnected. So for me, um, I have a history in sport, both individually as an athlete myself, and then also in the business. Um, you know, even again, my role today is from a corporate lens, it was, um, really interesting to see um, how brands are using sport to, again, both celebrate and recognize, but also to move the needle forward. And I think the point Adam makes is, is really important that no one brand is going to be perfect. No one brand um, you know, is going to be there to solve all of these issues, but all of these issues are interrelated and all of them are interconnected. Um, and I think that's a really important point as I was thinking about the lens of judging from, from my point of view is what do they define as their social purpose? What do they define as authentic to them, to that brand where they can stand up and make a difference in? And then really where I was, was looking at is, is how is that interconnectivity? You know, maybe how are they partnering? How are they working with as, as primary examples? Certainly a lot of that conversation, you, you both alluded to this, when it comes to conversation around purpose and social impact, it can obviously often be a bit of an angel devil paradox where a brand is either wholly good or, or wholly bad. And actually, you're right, as a lot of people recognize in the index, there are companies that sit very much in the middle and that being able to identify a specific project or a specific area where, as you say, Jessica, they're not looking to just do wide um, sort of broad brush strokes of change, but really move the needle on specific issues um, is a really important point. Were there any brands from your point of view, Jessica, that stood out that had a particularly interesting story behind their application? Um, there were definitely um, a few brands that, you know, of course, really stood out. I mean, one that I think we talked about um, as a group is a, um, you know, is a, is a stalwart brand, and that's uh, Patagonia. And, you know, everybody knows Patagonia, of course, as an outdoor clothing and sports gear brand. 
Um, but they, of course, both from a social and public perception and within this, you know, kind of zeitgeist have always been out in front. Um, but they co-founded, you know, a nonprofit in, in 2002 called the 1% for the planet. Um, so they were, have always been out in front in terms of donating net revenues, um, and really on grassroots environmental nonprofits, but the work that they submitted for, I think is just a really good example of how a brand can continue to reinvent themselves and the work really isn't ever done, even for a brand that um, stands really above so many others. Um, and so they talked a lot about their sort of action works, um, which connects people to environmental action groups in their community. And what I love the most about this, um, and some of it is just my own personal philosophy and perception, but also a trend that we're seeing holistically in philanthropy, um, which is how do we have proximate philanthropy? How do we get closer to the issues in the community? And how do we empower people to be part of the solution? So those ideas aren't new, but definitely have received um, a lot more attention. And so, you know, I really just loved... Um, sort of the authenticity, again, as well as the people connection to the environmental action groups um, that, that Patagonia is focused on. I would just add to that, George, that it's interesting seeing how one brand can influence others. So, so Jessica talks there about Patagonia and their role in the launch of 1% for the Planet what, 20 years ago, and then Sun God, who I referenced as a new brand on the index this year, one of the things in in the judges were considering about their entry was their commitment to 1% for the planet. So that's something that great Patagonia have, have been involved in that 20 years ago. It's something that happened, but it's something that's continuing to have more impact today, different brands signing up for the first time. So even as uh, a Patagonia take all the steps we've seen from them in the last few weeks to, to go even further in this direction, work that they were doing 20 years ago is still still having an impact. And I think that that's true of so many of the initiatives that different brands across the index are doing. They will have positive consequences, possibly at this, at this point completely unforeseen, um, that go beyond the initial investment, the initial, uh, the initial uh, effort to, to, to make change on a particular issue. They're extremely precedent setting in terms of what they've done and, and to the fact that, yes, it was, you know, referenced the time span between their 1%, but that was just a theme that we saw, especially uh, in the work um, supporting women and girls in sport, is work that's been happening for a decade plus by a lot of brands, but is now even accelerated or been picked up by other brands. And so I do think you'll see that as well in the index. I think Patagonia is a, a really interesting example because a, a lot of people will see that name on the list and they'll immediately think of the news earlier in the summer of Patagonia's founder essentially transferring the entire $3 billion business um, to a non-profit organization and ensuring that all profits henceforth go to, to climate change initiatives. But it's that's if that's the top line news, right? It's everything that sits underneath that. And as you say, Jessica, that proximate philanthropy is a really interesting point, impacting your communities sort of nearby and, and actually having that local impact that your that um, where your roots of the business lie. Another company on the index that I think has done that really well is EA Sports. I'm not sure whether it's part of their application this year, but their work with the Kyan Prince Foundation has 
made significant moves and they've also supported other initiatives over the year involving Ukraine, um, Stonewall FC, for instance, for LGBTQ+. Right. Adam, was that a, a, another example, do you think, of those brands being impacted by the trailblazers that have come before? I think I will answer that. I want to just say first to, to, to that point of, of proximate philanthropy and, and your point about being close to your communities. It's also about listening to those communities and, and letting those communities set the direction. I mean, that's something we really believe in. And, you know, in the hope that I have that a someone working for a brand might be listening to this, might see the index and think, actually, we can step up what we do in this space and we can do more. The big thing I would say to them is don't reinvent the wheel, sit in your office and just try and come up with something completely new, like listen to the the work that's happening in communities and that people are leading and, and, and see where you can support that and where it fits authentically with your strategy. Um, I think you, you, you referenced EA Sports. I think the interesting thing there that came up and, and, Again, this is talking less about one brand and more, more um, I suppose, trends across the index. You've, you, you've highlighted there some particular initiatives they're doing that I would think of as very external, but also what came through in their application, um, which I've seen was the, the internal work and kind of in tech, uh, integrating environmental sustainability into their own business operations, um, reducing their own carbon footprint. And, and that comes back to, to the point I made earlier, which is that I think the judges really looked at what people were doing with their own business as well as the, the initiatives they were taking in the community or in the world. And there were some, some brands that didn't make the index um, who were doing phenomenal work in the community, but there were some questions about what they were doing internally. And there were some brands who didn't make the index who were maybe getting things absolutely right internally, but the judges were saying, okay, they could do a little more in this space. And and it really is holistic. And as, as Jessica said before, it's very, all these areas are interrelated and interconnected. They all affect each other. It's a, a, a really important point to pick up on whether that external emphasis does prompt internal review and the importance of a lot of these businesses that you can't just essentially slap your name on a on an initiative that's externally facing if you don't have your house in order. Jessica, having you know led a CSR function yourself within a major international business, you're probably better placed than anyone to talk on the importance of that. Yeah, I mean, for us at NBC Universal, um, you know, putting sport for good aside, uh, employees are our most important stakeholder, right? And we really center our CSR strategy around our employees. And I mean, Adam talks about listening. You know, that's the number one thing that I feel like I spend a lot of my time doing, which is listening to employees. And of course, all of these organizations have a variety of employee bases with a variety of desires and a variety of needs and a variety of viewpoints. Um, and the world is a very challenging place right now. There's a lot happening um, and there's a lot of uh, desire for uh, brands to speak out against certain things. But it's your responsibility as a business to decide where that makes sense. And I will say that um, from a CSR lens at NBCU, our efforts have primarily been internal for that reason. Um, because employees are our North Star. And so we want to build our programming that is responsive to what our employees want. And one thing that um, has been very unique about the work that we have done um, is uh, we've thought about service and service learning as part of our inclusive leadership training and development. Uh, and that has allowed us to bring employees close to the work 
but also to service them through leadership training and development. And um, when employees feel like they have a say in the work that's happening, um, whether they can direct some of the funding, um, which was a program that we stood up in 2021, or they can be part of a learning experience that gives them both a service lens, as well as um, leadership development opportunity to go back to their business and be better leaders, uh, they really believe that the company is investing in them. So, you know, bringing it back to the index, that is going to continue to be extremely important. We all know how vocal um, employees are um, and, and potentially want their companies to be, but, um, you know, finding that medium and, and servicing employees is a core part of your strategy, I believe, as a CSR leader is, is really important. And companies that do that really well see the return on that um, because employees then are willing to go out and speak about the legitimacy and authenticity of the work that you're doing. Uh, because you've invested in them and you've listened to them. And so I think that will remain integral to any strategy, be it in sport or beyond. To pick up on that, there was another company I noticed um, on the list who um, we recently did a, an event with um, who, who spoke of the importance of some of their sponsorship deals that they've um, that have that sort of social impact at their core being arguably their greatest employee engagement tool. And it being a noticeably vocalized aspect to their employee engagement and that they've seen tangible results on the back of that. So with that in mind, often if we talk about ESG or CSR, they're often seen as being a metric, a set of metrics that are separate to the balance sheet, that are separate to the more commercially focused results. But how much is, is that changing when you hear stories that you've mentioned, Jessica, at NBCU or the one I mentioned of where actually a core part of the business strategy as a whole is tied to these environmental and social impact campaigns? I mean, I can speak just holistically across what I've seen as a CSR leader. And I think that that shift will continue to, we'll continue to see a shift towards integration. And, you know, I think there are governing bodies or things like the sustainable development goals that, of course, are pushing businesses forward, um, that are looking for pledges, um, that are looking for real bottom line commitments that force and or accelerate, I'll say, uh, a company to really looking at what is material to them and their business and how are they using those assets as a license to operate in communities um, and we'll continue to see that um, across a variety of issue and, and cause areas, some potentially a little bit easier to um, get at than others, depending on what it is that you're sort of focused in and on. But I think as it remains, as it relates to sport and, and, and sport for good and, and some of the kind of selection criterion process here, it's, you know, you saw through some of these entries the importance of balancing the sort of financial imperative with the social imperative and how they are inextricably linked. Um, and I go back to a lot of the work that we saw around um, women and girls as um, core consumers, core fan base to some of these brands. Um, and we saw um, how these businesses were linking their social programming around eliminating stereotypes and women's social roles, you know, they're commonly associated with women in communities and de-emphasizing those and highlighting and programs that are moving women and girls forward 
And of course, how that's inextricably linked to their financial imperatives around women's product, viewership, engagement, et cetera. Um, And so I think that will only continue to increase uh, each of these businesses and brands um, as they see those lines blurring uh, in terms of uh, specific sectors, groups, behaviors in, in which they're operating in and in which their fans and consumers expect them to operate in. I think you see it as well just in in this space with the the functions that that get involved with this work the business functions that get involved with this work I used to be trying to raise money for for sport for good work and I might talk to a marketing person or a CSR person and that might be the only connection to to the business you know it could be as simple as that whereas now certainly in the partnerships that that we have as Laureus I see so many people involved and, and, and that comes from internal champions. You know, it, it would be wrong with Jessica on the call not to use NBC as an example, but uh, we have so many touch points through that partnership with um, with people finding different ways to uh, connect to the local work we're doing in a community or that different parts of NBC connect to the the work we're doing elevating black leaders in sport, which is an initiative we have in the US. You, you really see that difference. And, and it comes down again to me to authenticity. It's what connects with our with, with a brand's employees as, as people in an authentic way and what comes back to their business objectives in an authentic way. And that let's look at Salesforce, who are a partner of the index and are looking at, at championing it and building it out with us this year that fits perfectly with their business. That's how they interconnect as a platform. That's where they want to raise the bar. That's going to take a completely different approach to a brand that's uh, you know, selling a physical product and thinking about reducing their carbon footprint and getting that to market or having a particular impact in a local community. I think it will good will always look different for, for, for different brands. But the really interesting thing to me is that the number of, of you know, functions or verticals within a business that touch this this um, social impact work. And, and that articulation of impact, that's you, there's an, it exists more than just from those internal viewpoints, right? We're definitely in an era now where the conscious consumer exists um, in almost every product vertical. So it's this is not just a case of are we internally doing what we should be doing? It's actually our customers expect this. And if we don't perform in these areas, then we will lose them to other brands. Is that something that you're certainly seeing as a trend across the index, Adam? I think it's well documented as, as, as we move through, you know, the generations, um, people people like to document it, particularly the, the increasing passion of people, whether as consumers or as employees, um, to be to be buying or interacting with brands who they believe are having a positive impact and, and certainly who are not doing harm. Um, I absolutely think that that trend will will continue. Um, and I think we see it more and more, um, certainly in, 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 let's say, the, the reported figures around the passion for sports fans. I think that the percentages, thinking of the the YouGov survey we, we looked at recently, sports fans are more likely compared to the general population to buy from companies who they consider socially and environmentally responsible. 
I think the socially conscious sports fan was the statistic, as they put it, um, represented more than two thirds of the global fan base versus, uh, you know, an, an increasing but, but smaller um, percentage of the general population. So uh, I think it's not just that that trend is happening, but within sport, because of the passion that people bring to this and because of the power sport has to connect people and the, the potential and opportunity that creates, it's probably even more important. Yeah, and I would just add that I think, you know, one thing we've seen a lot um, is this sort of court of public opinion and how brands show up. Um, and, you know, to your point on the interconnectivity between social and financial, you know, there's so much to be said around folks leveraging their popularity, be it their social media following, to you know, talk about a brand or a business in, you know, this, again, this online kind of court of public opinion or what the public really thinks about them. And so, um, you know, as we move through generations, like surf, I think brands continuing to surface some of these issues um, and consumers, fans, et cetera, responding to, or even as we, where we started, athletes being out in front on surfacing some of these issues puts pressure on, um, you know, brands and businesses to, to respond. Um, and whether, you know, those are different, you know, groundbreaking deals that, you know, turn into settlements or, you know, allocations of funds, which we saw in some of these entries to support, you know, first time women's teams or women's tournaments, things of that nature or sustainability initiatives all of that empowers, you know, really sets the bar for the continuation of empowering athletes and, and sports um, to really use their positions to pursue, you know, greater equality. We've talked a lot through the conversation about the interconnectivity of sport and its power to to influence um, its fan base. Do you think that with the celebration that this index brings for brands that are doing that well, is there also an importance to highlight and safeguard against the brands that are using that power and using that influence for, for one of a better phrase, sports washing purposes? Do these sorts of indexes not just celebrate those doing it well, but also shine the light and try to safeguard against those that, that aren't? You're um you're giving us a bit of a paradox or a, an un- unprovable conundrum or however they put it in that the brands that are uh, the brand that the judges of the index would consider to be doing this work just as sports washing don't make it onto the index so um so so we don't publish a list. We don't publish a list of these are the guys who didn't make it and these are our concerns about them. Um, but I think that that. Exactly, exactly. It would be a very interesting and different podcast. Um, but the but I do think it's important. I mean, I think that that you know, I'm, I look at the role of sports pro and others. That I think the media do an amazing job holding brands to account on those things. Um, I think that the um, the general public does hold brands to account. I, I I think I've said a couple of times in this conversation, I've talked about authenticity and that's what it comes back to for me. Like, yes, you can use sport to, to, to sell a narrative. You can use sport to, to uh, gloss over things. You can use an investment in sport to try and shift the conversation about anything from a small brand to a nation state as we see. But I think that uh, at the end of the day, 
sports fans, consumers, employees, businesses, we all know authenticity when we see it. And that's why it's so important if you want to be, be in it for the long term. I think you, you, you called my earlier point a paradox and, and it is to an extent, but what I do think this index does that, that can really help with highlighting the, for want of a better phrase, the, the bad side um, of those sporting partnerships is transparency. And that has to be the next step, right? Is creating transparency and accountability for what good actually means. And how can sports rights holders, when they are tendering these commercial partnerships, how can they actually properly evaluate who is doing good and who they can partner with to drive these initiatives? So when it comes to this year's um, judging criteria, how important is it to keep driving that conversation and to keep going further in developing robust and transparent criteria to assess impact? I mean, I can say as a judge, you know, one thing that we were really looking at is a sort of comprehensive evidence-based approach, right? So where are each of these brands, even if it's not perfect, is there really that, that transparent, it's the word you use, but, you know, evidence-based approach to how they are making effective contributions to development of or acceleration of, you know, the issue that they're focused in on. And so um, I think like any, like anything else, it's going to continue to be extremely important. However, you know, having been in the philanthropy space and the CSR space for, you know, for a while, this conversation is forever evolving, right? Around how what, what is evidence? What is impact? What is measurable impact, right? What are tangible results? It looks different um, for each of these projects, depending on the country, depending on the brand. And so I just think that what's even more important is that you're very clear about what your strategy is and what you're doing to work up against that strategy and then what your desired outcomes are. Rather than, and this goes back to some of the conversation we're having on proximate-based philanthropy, rather than the funder setting the um, desirable outcomes, it's really working in partnership with um, the community to determine what is that evidence-based impact and then funding it. And so that's some of the stuff that I think moving forward, we probably want to continue to look at to ensure that there is sustainability to these programs. At a top-line business level, I think there's also a really interesting point around reporting and regulatory authorities in, in this space. And that's where ESG starts to become really relevant in this. You know, I think you, you, you could be at a conference a few years ago hearing people talking about this work and they'd be talking about, I'm, I'm thinking from a brand side here, they'd be talking about the, you know, the warm and fluffy stuff and how it makes them, how it makes them feel. And now you could be at a conference and the the topic of conversation actually might be much more, do you know what? We're a, a public company and we have made this declaration about what we're going to do in this space. And that means we now need to report on this declaration. That means regulators are interested in this. It's, 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 um, it's as someone said, uh, the footprint sustainability summit, which I was at earlier this year. Um, I remember one of the speakers saying CFOs are about to start caring a great deal about any environmental commitments that their organizations have made. And I think that that's reflective of something that's across businesses and across um, across the focus, which is that it's not just that there's a, it's not just that it's nice to report on these things. It's that increasingly, as you say, 
um, from a transparency perspective, from a business perspective, there's an, an ever-growing demand to see uh, see the numbers and see the impacts people are having. And to Jessica's point, that CFO involvement does sometimes come with the budgetary concerns. And it's so important that these initiatives continue to be funded and are controlled from that central level. Well, Jessica and Adam, thank you very much um, for, for taking the time to look through the index and, and some of the key issues that sit behind it. Um, I could definitely talk all afternoon uh, on this, but uh, we'll have to keep it there, I think, for today. For those listening who, who want to cast their eye over that index and to take a look at some of those companies and the work they're doing, please do um, take a look at the website, which is lauriussportforgoodindex.com. Uh, so, and you can download the full list and have a look at your heart's content. But in the meantime, Jessica and Adam, thank you very much for joining me. And uh, we'll look forward to keep carrying on the conversation next year as the 2023 list comes out. Thank you, George. And thank you, Jessica. Thank you, George. Thank you, Adam. Thank you.